good singing. Love singing the Lord, singing to the Lord, especially congregational singing. And the choir does an excellent job, and I'm very thankful for that. We're going to be in Revelation again tonight, chapter 21. While you're turning uh, to that, um, let me just make a couple of announcements. I mentioned this morning during the service that we're going to be changing the way we do our live stream, um, maybe by Wednesday, but uh, surely by next Sunday. And if you are in the church and you have uh, the church, Mount Zion family is a Facebook page. If you have Facebook, you're the church. For some reason you can't be here, uh, you can see it live stream at that time, but only those who are on our Mount Zion family page will be able to see, see it live stream. Uh, after that, it'll always be, we'll put them on uh, either on the mzbc.com page or the YouTube page or both of those places. But uh, and we've been thinking about this and talking about it for quite some time and I think it's really the right thing to do. And occasionally, people in our church may or may not know this, but occasionally, you know, when we deal with a subject, it's from the Bible, but it's sometimes it's such a sensitive issue um, that we may not even put it online at all. And we may just elect to say, let's not put that one up there. So, um, so anyway, we, and you may not understand that, but there's just reasons why we do that and take our word for it. It's, it's really, I think, a wise move. So anyway, just know that and be prepared for that. If you have any questions about that, I know when you say the Mount Zion Facebook page and mzc.com and YouTube, a lot of people are thinking, what is that? Where is that? But so if you need some help, um, people are here that can help you. Ask Don Hoke, he can help you. Or Alfred, he could help you. Or Jim Bland, I'm sure he'd know all about that. So anyway, uh, no, ask, ask uh, some of our techie people and they could help you with that. Uh, a couple of other things just to keep in mind, there, our youth uh, conference um, is the last Saturday of this month and be in prayer for that. And uh, if, if Brother Hoke has not contacted you about certain things you could do to help, he will be coming after you. And so uh, keep that in mind, but, but especially just pray for it, that God would work in it. And then... Um, our revival meeting, which is the, begins the last Sunday of uh, August, which we'll, we're, we're praying for that. And that's really um, something that I urge you to be praying for. There are a number of other things that I, I'll, I'll mention at the end of the service, and uh, we'll talk about them a little later. Good to see you tonight. Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and I'd invite you to stand with us, if you would, please. As we read the scripture, I know some people can't stand, and we understand that completely. So, But we like to stand, stretch our legs, but also just pay tribute, honor to God's word. Revelation 21 and verse 1, John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, 
And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, John writes, he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We're going to read some more verses in a little bit, but, you know, the word new could really be like a subtitle for this chapter. Verse 1, we have a new heaven, a new earth. In verse 2, we have the new Jerusalem. And in verse 5, in a very direct way, God says, I make all things new. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to just open the Bible. And Lord, read it and seek to understand it. We know as we've prayed numerous times going through this series, this study, there are things we don't know about uh, the future, things that aren't clear to us in the scripture. But Lord, we thank you for what you've given to us. And we thank you that you have reasons for things you don't give to us. And so we're grateful for your wisdom. We ask you to bless tonight as we go through your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God is going to make everything new. Um, by the way, the only way everything could be made new is to do away with everything that's old. You have to get rid of it. And, you know, everything that's corrupted, everything that has corrupted the way things have been would have to be removed. In verse 10, for instance, in chapter 20, we see where the devil was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, the beast, the false prophet, uh, are, are cast in there. They'll be tormented day and night forever. This morning and we looked at the great white throne in verse 11. For those of you who are in the other building this morning, not able to be over here. And, and, and notice what it says, that the, the judgment of the great white throne is for every person who rejected Christ. Every person of all time who rejected salvation. The Bible says in verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. In verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So I, I just make the point that God is, God is cleaning house. God has dealt with the devil and the beast and the false prophet. God has dealt with all people who reject the truth. Imagine a world where every rebel, every fallen angel, every demon, every hypocrite, every liar is absent from the world. And that's the world as it's going to be. And he's making all things new. You know, when God created everything that he created, if you read in Genesis, we know this. When God created everything he did, he, he said that it was good. There was nothing wrong with it when he created it. It was good. And what destroyed it was not God, it was sin. From the very beginning, when Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men from the very first family, we had the first murder 
where Cain killed Abel and sin began to corrupt the world. Sin, sin always contaminates, sin always corrupts, sin always defiles, sin always destroys. Sin, when it is finished, doesn't bring forth life, does it? It brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. And by the way, it's a good lesson for us. Any sin is harmful. All sin is damaging. And so God is going to get rid of everything that is sinful, everything that is evil, everything that's against truth, everything that's against him. And he's going to make, in verse 1, a new heaven and a new earth because he got rid of, verse 1, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. He's going, to, he's going to get rid of this earth. Don't get too attached to it. Global warming is coming. All right? It's all going to burn up. Turn to the left just a little bit in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Peter's writing about the day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord is the day of judgment. The day that God judges the world. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Peter knew this. Writing by the inspiration of God, he records this. Seeing then, he says, that all these things shall be dissolved. All the things of this world are going to be dissolved. They're going to be burned up. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Knowing that should affect the way we live. Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Isn't that good? God's going to get rid of the old. He's going to bring in the new. And he's going to make a world where righteousness dwells. And so let's go back to Revelation 21 for a little bit. So God is going to make things new. By the way, God is in the business of doing that, right? You know, that's what salvation is. God makes us new. It's a new birth. You must be born again. And we become new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new Creature, God makes things new. God never saved us. God never saved me so that I could keep everything that I had that was old. He, he saved me that he could make all things new. That's the way God is. That's God's work. And so he's going to make a new world. A new world without sin. A new world occupied only by saints. By people who love God and love the word of God. I really, I can't think about this without wondering what some people are going to do who, who really believe they're saved, but they don't really like the things of God. They don't like the word of God. They don't like the fellowship of God. 
They don't like the worship of God, and yet that's all it's going to be. Think about it. People are already cringing, thinking, what about my, what about my video games? I mean, what about all this stuff? So I don't think there are going to be any on the other side, right? It's, it's going to just be righteousness. That's what the Bible says. So, and a part of that in verse 2 is John saw the holy city. And that's really going to be the primary focus of our attention tonight. How John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the holy city, the New Jerusalem, and she's prepared as a bride for her husband. We're, we can, I, need, I can't even imagine what that's going to look like, what that's going to be like. I can't imagine it. I mean, just to see this coming down, John seeing it coming down out of heaven, this great city. And we'll talk about more later in this because it comes later in the, in the chapter. But let's go on in verse 3. And I heard a great voice, John said, out of heaven saying. He heard this voice saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You know, the only life we know is a life of faith. Believing in someone we've never seen. Believing in a salvation. Believing in the power of a crucifixion and resurrection. Not one person in this room has ever seen the Lord. We, we walk with him by faith. He dwells within us. We live by faith. But one day he's going to dwell with us. Not just dwell with us by faith, but dwell with us in, in per person, in reality. And so the tabernacle of God, that's God's dwelling place. That's God's, it's like a tent. That's God's habitat. He's going to dwell with us. And verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, no pain, no arthritis, no aches. For the former things, all those things, all the things of the past, are gone. Verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he tells John, Write these things, for they're true and they're faithful. And he continues to speak to John in verse 6 and said unto John, It is done. It's done. I'm Alpha and Omega. By the way, these are the same words we see Jesus saying in chapter 1 and verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. This is, all these things are your inheritance. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. What a wonderful thing that is. And... Again, he reiterates in verse 8 that the unsaved have no part. The fearful, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that characteristic of unsaved people, the fearful. And wondering why being fearful would be a characteristic of an unsaved person. And here's the one reason I think it is, is because many people who really want 
to be saved are afraid. They're afraid what their friend's going to think. They're afraid of what others might say. They're afraid of what it might look like. And that fear keeps them from ever being saved. Don't let fear stand between you and eternal salvation because it doesn't really matter what your friends think. What matters is what does God think. So the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So no unsaved people will be in this world any longer. They're going to be banished to a lake of fire. And so in verse 9, there came unto John one of the angels, seven angels, which heard the seven vials, which, excuse me, had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues from earlier in the book. And talk with me, John said, saying this, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Come, I'm going to give you a tour, and I'm going to show you. Now, who is the, the, the what's he talking about? He's talking about the holy city, verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. John had already said that he saw it, and this angel said, come and I will show you. And he came and saw this, this holy city coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, verse 11 says, and, and illuminated. Her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And there was a wall great and high around this city. And it had 12 gates and all the gates had angels, 12 angels around the gates. And names were written on the gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So, he, so imagine this, three, three gates on other, each side. That's what verse 13 says. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And each one of them had one of the names of the children of Israel. And this wall had 12 foundations. Layers of foundations. That's what I'm assuming. Twelve foundations. And in the names in them, in those twelve foundations, footings under the wall, we have the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And so John sees this, and, and this angel is talking to him. And he, he that talked with me, this angel had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And here's the measurements in verse 16. And the city lieth four square, four even, even side, dimension sides. The length is as the large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Each side, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 and four cubits. According to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. A cubit is generally understood to be um, about a foot and a half. So if you have 144 cubits, you've got 216 feet. And then he begins to describe the building of the wall. It was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. Imagine that, a whole city 
Try to imagine a city of pure gold. Imagine St. Clair being pure gold. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? No offense, but it is hard to imagine. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, each foundation made of these precious stones. And the whole city was of gold. Verse 21 says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. Think about that. One pearl for a gate. Ladies, you're thinking about asking for something for your anniversary. There you go. Give me one of those pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. You believe that? The cities are pure gold? Why wouldn't you believe it? Right? God said it. Just keep reading. Verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, John says. I didn't see a building. There was no place to worship. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. There was no need for a temple because God himself is there. They worship him. They don't need, they don't need any electricity either, Brother Peterson. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God will lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The glory of God just lightens the place. Verse 24 is an interesting statement to me. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. To me that seems to make a distinction between those that are saved and those who this, who is actually, it was built for the bride. And the nations of people who can visit it, the doors will always be open, but it's not necessarily, the bride is, the, I believe the bride is the church. I believe what the Bible teaches. And, and, but the nations of them which are saved can walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Isn't that a blessing? You know, sometimes nighttime is a wonderful time, a time of great rest. But sometimes night are dreary times and dark times. But there's going to be no light there, no night there, no, no night. Isn't that wonderful? Like we were, in, we were in Alaska one time, my wife and I, and uh, the sun went down about, seemed like about 2 or 3 in the morning. And then you only had a few hours of, of darkness. And then you... So you have to get up and start again. But there'll be no darkness in this place. Thank God for it. It says in verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. 
and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Only these people will be there, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, only saved people will be there. It's going to be a wonderful thing, this place. And I don't necessarily know that all these things we read about in, in Revelation are happening happening uh, the way it appears. This happens after chronologically is the word I'm trying to think of. But I think this is obviously chronological because you can't have anything new when you've still got the old around. And it's, it's hard for us to imagine what that's going to be like. Young person, think about what that's going to be like when there's no sin, when there's no, when there's no deception, when there's no lying, when none of that's there. All that's there is peace and holiness and righteousness and, and obedience to God. What a wonderful world that's going to be. But I want to focus for a moment on this city and how many people might live there. You know, I was thinking about just major cities of the world. For instance, New York City, the city limits of New York City is 300 square miles. It's a pretty big city. Los Angeles is about the same size. Houston's actually 600 square miles just in the city limits. Uh, St. Louis, on the other hand, is 66 square miles. <laughs> that big city. The county's 500 square miles. But let's look at this. I want to, I want to look at this first graphic. The, it says in the Bible there that this new Jerusalem is 12,000 furlongs. And there are eight furlongs per mile. So each side of it is 1,500 miles. Now think about that. A city that is square 1,500 miles each way. To get the square miles, you multiply 1,500 by 1,500, and you get 2,250,000 square miles. Just let that soak in. I put this in print so you could look at it. 2,250,000 square miles. John saw this city coming down from God out of heaven. 2,250,000 square miles. On the, on the, and on the, the, the height of it was also 1,500 miles high. We have a picture, just to visualize a cube that would be that, that big. Um, we have it. Now we had it back there a moment ago, but now we just have it up here. Okay. So that's the New Jerusalem, twelve thousand furlongs, fifteen hundred miles wide, fifteen hundred miles long, fifteen hundred miles high. Uh, we have another a graphic. Um, if you were to take the square foot, the square miles in those states, that's, that's, that's the same square miles that will be in the footprint 
of the new Jerusalem. Some of y'all don't even look impressed. Blows my mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. It blows my mind. Don't be an unbeliever. It's really true. So, then my question is this. This was my question. How many Christians could live in that? How many Christians could live in that, in that new Jerusalem? How crowded would it be? Um, and so we're going to do a little math. Just to review, 1,500 miles times 1,500 miles is 2,250,000 square miles. So how many Christians could live there? Now, I want to throw, I'm just going to think about a few things, okay? We're going to spend the rest of our time thinking. We're going to think about a few things. Um, Dr. Henry Morris, how many of y'all are familiar with that name, Henry Morris? He's a creation scientist. He's a um, engineer. He's, he's dead now, but he, he's given his life to Christian uh, creationism and stuff. He speculated that it's possible that there have been 100 billion people who've lived in all of history. 100 billion. Now keep in mind there's 7.8 billion alive right now. Almost 8 billion on the planet now. Now you've got to think, you know, but the t Noah's day there was a great population at the time of Noah's when God destroyed the world. But then he went down to one family and started all over. Now we have 8 billion. And so we're talking about how many people might be in heaven. You didn't come to church tonight thinking you were going to find out how many people were going to be in heaven. This is a special night for all of us. What, let's just, just hypothetically, let's think, what if 20% what if of the population of the world, of all time, what if 20% were true believers, followers of God, Christians? What if 20%? Um, current, current uh, polling, current um, figures, data says, and, and several people say this, that right now today of the present population, 30% claim to be saved. 30%. Now that's including Catholics, that's including people who believe you're saved by your baptism, they call themselves Christians. That includes Jehovah's Witnesses. They call themselves Christians. That includes Mormons. They call themselves Christians. They don't even believe that Jesus is God. So if 30% claims to be Christian, I think 20% might be a very generous number. Frankly, I have strong doubts that two out of every 10 people in the world are saved. I have serious doubts about that. But let's just use it for our figure's sake because we have to come up with a figure. So, the, so we're going to say if all the population of the world was 100 billion and 20% of them are going to be in heaven, that's 20 billion people. We're going to use that our number. 20 billion people are going to live in the new Jerusalem. Are we there so far? Got it. Is that possible? Let's go back. Let's go forward again. So keep in mind that the square footage of the footprint is 2,250,000 square feet. That's on one floor. This, this New Jerusalem goes up 1,500 miles. 
Now, maybe it only has one floor. I would suggest it probably has more than one. So let's make floors in it. We're going to fit. How many Christians could we fit into this? So let's just, let's just imagine this. When you get on a plane, if you get on a plane and you take off, they're going to take you up 33,000 feet. Let's just say they put the floor at 33,000 feet, each floor. That's about seven miles. So let's, if you made every floor seven miles high, seven miles high would be the, ne- the floor, next floor would begin, you would have 214 floors. I, I would hope to think if you're in heaven that a seven-mile high ceiling would be adequate for you. How are you going to paint the thing, right? So, so you've got 214 floors now, and you've got 2,250,000 square miles on each floor. So now you're up to 481,500,000 square miles in the New Jerusalem, if every floor is seven miles high. Now let's go back to our 20 billion people that hypothetically could be saved. If you were to put 20 billion people in those 481,000 square miles, you would have 41 people per square mile. 41 people, that's not exactly right there. You had 41 people per square mile in that. Okay, let's break it. So, I mean, if you have a square mile, one mile this direction, one mile this direction, a square mile, 40 people, and it's not going to be crowded. Would you agree with that? It's not going to be crowded. And just to make it a, look at it a little bit differently, a square mile has 640 acres in it. So for every square mile, every person in the New Jerusalem would have 15 acres. That's pretty good, isn't it? For those of you who don't like neighbors, you know, that's what I'm thinking. It'd be good for me. And that's if you have to go seven miles up to get to the next story. If every story, if every floor was only one mile, multiply that by seven. If, if, if every floor was one mile, then every person would have 105 acres. Imagine John seeing this coming down out of the sky. This 1,500 feet square, a cube, solid gold, solid gold with three doors on every side where you could access it, where you could get in. And, and these pearls as large, we don't know how big the gates are, but pearls as big as the gates. And when I think about that, I think about how, how great God is. Now, if this was the nursery rhyme, if this was a fairy tale, we wouldn't have any reason to be impressed. But this is not a fairy tale. This is not a nursery rhyme. This is not an embellishment. This is, this is what the Bible says. God actually gives us the dimensions and tells us what it's going to look like. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. 
And I, I think about, this is one of the things I think about, and I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon, but I think about in my mind sometimes, I have to admit, I don't see God as big as he really is. But this is how big God is. I think one of the things about this, this is like his finishing work. It's like the, the people who've lived all their life and just wondered, you know, like God is so small, he can't really handle my needs. God is so little, he really can't take care of my needs. But this is the God of the Bible. And I'm wondering if he's got it, going to just speak it all into Zix. And one time he's already up there. Maybe it's what Jesus has been working on. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, maybe this is what he's been working on. Me, I would build it with old used two-by-fours. and <laughs> That's not what it's going to be like. It's, it also talks to him, tells me about how special we are to God. This is what God has in store for us. Unfortunately, sometimes we look at where we are in life and we look at the struggles we have and we question, you know, why, why would God let me have this? But I'm telling you, God has, God has some very special things in store for us. Amen. And you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't know what I would do in a world where there's no television, no cell phones, no fishing. It's interesting. When it says he, he, in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Wow. Now what are we going to do? We can't go to the creek. How, would we, how are we going to manage? How, what, I, wonder where, I wonder if there's a Walmart on every level. <laughs> Hopefully not. No, there won't be. There won't be. I used to joke around and think, you know, I'm sure we'll be playing golf in heaven. Then it dawned on me, you can't play golf in heaven. If you're perfect, you'll get a hole and run, a hole and one every time. That'd be boring, wouldn't it? But the truth is, young person, that we're going to be so enamored with him and we're going to be so blown away by his goodness that none of those other things that matter so much to us, none of it will matter at all just to be there with him. I was thinking about this. If God would give me a place in heaven where I could just set up a tent or sleep on a park bench, I'd be happy, right? I'd be happy just to be in heaven, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to be larger and bigger and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. So it's going to be wonderful, a place without sin, not even without sin, but without temptation to sin, a place where there's no disappointments or disagreements, a place where there's no guilt or shame or place where there's no embarrassment, no bad memories, no false accusations. Isn't it going to be wonderful? So I asked the question tonight, will you be there? None of us will be there because we deserve to be there. Do you want to be there?
there's so much about heaven that I don't understand, that I don't know. I mean, I really don't know, and I don't think any of us know. If we pulled all of our resources together, we'd fall miserably short of all that we will know one day. But I know this, I want to be there. Amen? If you're sitting here tonight and you're not even sure if you want to be there, you've got a problem. And if you don't have assurance that you've been born again, say, well, I, you know, I know I make mistakes, but I know he's made me. See, God makes things new. God's in the business. God's not in the business of just putting Band-Aids on problems. God's in the business of making things new. New attitudes, new desires, new family, new priorities, new values. That's what God does. He makes things new. And you ought to ask yourself, has there ever been a time when God really did something in my life that began to change my life? You don't get saved by changing your life. But when you get saved, it'll change your life. Has that happened to you? God didn't leave us here that we could just keep living the same old life we always live, just go to church on Sundays. That's not what it's about. Going to church on Sunday doesn't really make us better people. Hearing God's truth can make us better people. Making right decisions can make us better people. Going to church is a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. If you're not saved tonight, you ought to think about this. This morning, this morning, many of you, most of you here this morning, we talked about the great white throne judgment. What a, what a horrific moment that's going to be when every unbeliever, every liar, every, everyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into a lake of fire. That's serious stuff. You ought to think about it. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Our Father, we're thankful this evening for your word. We're thankful for what you have in store for us. And not just for us, but for all those faithful believers throughout the centuries who've stood for you and stood for truth and put their faith in Christ and Many sacrifice greatly. We thank you for this future that we have, this, this promise we have of this wonderful place, a place that we can't even imagine. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your power, your might, your wisdom, your ability. We praise you for that tonight. While folks are praying this evening, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and folks are praying, maybe tonight 